Amen and good morning. Welcome to our celebration of a living Christ. Here we are in the Garden of Lilies. So nice. If you would take your Bibles, we're going to go right into the message and then we're going to celebrate some more through song. Right now, uh, we want to see what the Word of God has to say about what we are celebrating uh, this morning. We're so glad you're here. Uh, Glad you've come out. There's nothing like gathering with God's people on Easter Sunday. Mark chapter 15 and 16. Mark 15 and 16. We had a wonderful time Friday night here at the Lord's table. I trust that those of you who were here feel the same. It was a special night as we... uh, sang about the sacrifice of Christ on the cross as we uh, looked at the human drama, those 24 hours leading up to the death of Christ. There was a lot of drama, a lot of emotion, a lot of action in just 24 hours. And then, of course, coming to the Lord's table, and what a blessing to just sit there and watch each of you come and to think of what you mean to us in this body as you went up and gave thanks to God for your salvation. It was a great time. But today we celebrate the fact that Jesus is alive. He's not in the grave anymore. And we're going to look at Mark's account of that. Uh, In our series through Mark, we're only in chapter 8 and 9. But we're jumping ahead uh, for Easter to see how Mark records the resurrection. And so I'd like to read for you, starting in chapter 15 of Mark, starting in verse 42, and I'll read through uh, about 11 verses of chapter 16. So uh, Mark chapter 15, starting in verse 42. It was preparation day, that is the day before the Sabbath. As you recall, Jesus died at three o'clock in the afternoon. And the Sabbath will begin at 6 o'clock. So what we're reading right now is happening between 3 and 6 on Friday. So it was the preparation day, that is the day before the Sabbath. So as evening approached, Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent member of the council, who was himself waiting for the kingdom of God, went boldly to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. Pilate was surprised to hear that he was already dead. Summoning the centurion, he asked him if Jesus had already died. And when he learned from the centurion that it was so, he gave the body to Joseph. So Joseph bought some linen cloth, took down the body, wrapped it in the linen, and placed it in a tomb cut out of rock. Then he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Very early on that first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb. And they asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb... They saw a young man dressed in a white robe, sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. 
Don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of them into Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. When Jesus rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had driven seven demons. She went and told those who had been with him and who were mourning and weeping. When they heard that Jesus was alive and that she had seen him, they did not believe it. Would you stand with me and pray? Father, we stand before you right now and we declare to you, we believe it. We believe Jesus rose. We believe Jesus conquered the grave. We believe that he is alive today, that we serve a risen Savior and Lord. We believe. And Father, as we look at your word, as we look at these scriptures in the next few minutes, Father, I pray that the result of this morning together would be someone new coming into your kingdom, into your family, declaring that they too believe in a risen Jesus. That would be our prayer. In his name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Have you ever found yourself uh, saying or thinking words like, I told you this would happen, or I said it would go this way, or don't you remember? I already told you. Or weren't you listening? I explained it to you in detail. If you relate to those things, you're probably a parent. Because we find out that sometimes our children have a, a bit of a difficulty listening. And so we find ourselves saying words like that often. Well, I told you. I told you that would happen. Weren't you listening? I explained it. And then after we've uh, concluded our parenting and we become empty nesters and get into our late 60s and early 70s, we find ourselves saying things like that often again, usually to our spouse. Well, I already told you. Didn't you hear? I, I, I explained it all to you. I don't know about you, but if you're the age of Janine and I, maybe you've noticed that in your household a very common word has popped up, and it's the word what? <laughs> and it's not because we're not listening like our children weren't when they were home. It's because we're just having a hard time hearing and remembering. 
What I'm going to do this morning for the next few minutes is just focus on one phrase that the angel said to the women. One phrase in this text, and it's in verse 7. He says, Go tell his disciples and Peter he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. And here's the phrase we're going to consider. The angel says, Just as he told you. The angel is implying that Jesus has already told them something. Just as he told you. So let's go back in the book of Mark. Let's just stick with the book of Mark because that's what we're studying these weeks. Let's go back and answer the question, what had Jesus already told them? Chapter 8, where we left off last week. Mark chapter 8. As you recall uh, from our study last week, uh, chapter 8 describes this, this turning point for both Jesus and the disciples because Jesus takes his disciples up to Caesarea Philippi and he asks that important question, who do you say I am? And they answer it right. Peter answers on behalf of the disciples, says, we believe you are the Christ. You're the promised Messiah. You're the one. You're the divine one that was foretold. And then we saw verse 31. Here was the turning point for Jesus. He then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this. From that point on, Mark says Jesus began to tell his disciples about what was coming, the plan. And notice what he tells them here the first time. He says the Son of Man must suffer, must be rejected by the religious leaders, must be killed, not just die, but be killed. That's at the hands of someone else. And he says after three days, will rise again. So here's the question. Did Jesus suffer many things? Was Jesus rejected by the religious leaders? Was Jesus killed? Did Jesus rise again after three days? Yes, on all accounts. Right? It happened just as he said. Let's go to chapter 9. Chapter 9. We'll be in this passage next week, but I want you to see one, one verse here. Verse 9. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus gave them orders not to tell anyone what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. They kept the matter to themselves, discussing what rising from the dead meant. So here's the second time. 
Jesus brings up to his disciples the idea that he would rise from the dead. Later in chapter 9, verses 30 to 32. Verse 30. They left that place and passed through Galilee. Jesus did not want anyone to know where they were because he was teaching his disciples. He said to them, The Son of Man is going to be betrayed into the hands of men. They will kill him. And after three days, he will rise. Third time. He says, The Son of Man will be betrayed into the hands of men. Was he? They will kill him. Did they? And after three days, he will rise. Did he? Certainly he did. Jesus had told them these things would happen. Chapter 10. Chapter 10, verse 32. They were on their way up to Jerusalem with Jesus leading the way, and the disciples were astonished while those who followed were afraid. Again, he took the twelve aside and told them what was going to happen to him. We are going up to Jerusalem, he said, and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles, who will mock him and spit on him, flog him and kill him. Three days later, he will rise. Fourth time, Jesus tells his disciples what will happen. And he's much more detailed this time. You notice that? He says, we're going up to Jerusalem. Did they? Yes. The Son of Man will be betrayed to the religious leaders. Was he? Yes. They will condemn him to death. Did they? They did. They will hand him over to the Gentiles. Did they? Yes, to the Romans under Pilate. They will mock him. Did they? They did. They will spit on him. Did they? We saw that Friday night. They will flog him. Was he beaten? He was. And kill him. Did they? Yes. Three days later, he will rise. Did he? He did. That is so detailed. And I'm sure you understand that the more detail Jesus would give, the better chance there is of him being wrong and something not happening. Right? The more detailed you get, the better chance there is of being mistaken. But even when Jesus is detailed ahead of time, we later find every detail taking place, just as he told them. Chapter 14. Chapter 14, verse 28. This is in the upper room. We saw this on Friday night. 
Jesus says, but after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Fifth time. After I have risen. I will go ahead of you into Galilee. And then we come to chapter 16 where we started. And what the angel said. In verse seven. But go tell his disciples and Peter. He is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Just as he told you. He already told you. Mark records five different times when Jesus told his followers what was going to happen. And in all five of those times, he referred to resurrection, that he would rise again. And verse 11 of Mark 16 says, When the disciples heard that Jesus was alive and that she, Mary, had seen him, They did not believe it. Isn't that incredible? I mean, Mark records five times, five different times, when Jesus said what would happen, and every one of the five times he included, in three days he would rise again. Were there other times that he said the same thing? We don't know, but Mark records five. And yet when it happened, the disciples refuse to believe it. That's pretty amazing. He had told them some other things. In chapter 14, he got a little more specific on the idea that he would be betrayed. And he said, one of you. He narrowed it down to one of those 12 will betray me. Did it end up being one of the 12? It was. It happened. In Mark 14, verse 18, he says that they would all scatter. Did they all scatter when Jesus was arrested? They all scattered. Just like he said. And also in Mark 14, in that upper room discussion, Jesus said to Peter, he became very specific, and he said, Peter, you will deny me. And he got even more specific three times and even brought up a rooster. Talk about detail. And did it happen? It was Peter. It was three times. And there was a rooster. Everything happened just like Jesus told them. Every detail. And we know that eventually when they saw Jesus alive, the disciples believed. They believed and they must have remembered then all the times Jesus had told them what would happen, including he would rise again. And you have to believe that one of the conclusions the disciples came to, and I know I have come to, I don't know about you, and that is 
that when Jesus says something, you can believe it. When Jesus says something is going to happen, it's going to happen. You can count on it. I mean, the pattern is there. Without fail, everything Jesus ever said happened. So what would be the conclusion for the disciples at that time and for you and me today? When Jesus speaks, we had better listen. We had better believe it. We had better count on it. Because it's going to happen. Let me show you one more passage. We've already looked at it. This is a review of last week. Mark chapter 8. But I want to apply what Jesus says in Mark chapter 8 to this truth that whatever Jesus says, you can count on. You can believe it if he says it. And whatever he says will happen, it will happen. Let's see what he said to the disciples in Mark chapter 8. Starting in verse 34. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. I'll just remind you of what we talked about last week. Jesus says, if anybody is going to be one of mine, if anyone is going to be part of me, He has to deny himself. He has to say no to himself. Say no to all his self-centered, selfish ideas. Say no to controlling his own life. Say no to being in charge of her own life. If you're going to be part of me, he says, you must deny yourself. Say no to yourself. And you must take up your cross. we learned last week that that simply in the context means if you follow me, Jesus is saying there are risks. There is a cost. There will be rejection because that's what a cross is all about. There will be suffering. That's what a cross is all about. There may even be death. That's what a cross is all about. When Jesus says deny yourself and take up your cross, He's not saying, if you choose to follow me, you're going to have to bear this cross of going to church every Sunday and listening to your pastor. That's not the cross. In the context, Jesus has talked about his cross, remember? He says, I'm going to suffer, I'm going to be rejected, and I'm going to be killed. And right away then, he says, and if you're going to be part of me, if you're going to be one of mine... You have to say no to yourself, to your own will. And you have to be willing to count the cost and be willing to take whatever the cross means to you. Suffering, rejection, maybe even death. It's that important. And then follow me. Then he says in verse 35, For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. You want to hang on to your own life? 
You want to resist giving your life over to Jesus? You want to save your own life? Jesus says you're going to lose it. Now, let's stop there. What have we just declared in the first few minutes? Whatever Jesus says, you can believe it. Whatever Jesus says will happen, will happen. What does he say here? Whoever tries to save their own life will lose it. Jesus said it. You can believe it. You can count on it. It will happen. If we choose to hang on to our own life, we'll eventually lose it. He goes on to say, but whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. If you're willing to give up your life for me, let go of your life and give it over to me, you'll save your life. That's what Jesus said. Can we believe it? Will it happen? Count on it. If we're willing to give up our life to Jesus, the result is our life is saved. Because he said it. He went on and he said in verse 36, What good is it for a man to gain the whole world, yet forfeit his soul, your eternal soul? What good is it if you gain everything in this world, everything you're unwilling to give up, everything you want to hold on to? What good is it if you have that, but you lose your eternal soul? Verse 37, or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? Jesus says there's nothing more valuable, nothing more important than your eternal soul. There's nothing in this world, nothing you would want to hang on to and be unwilling to give up for Jesus that is more valuable than your eternal soul. Is that true? Jesus said it. And everything Jesus says, you can believe. And then he concluded, as you recall, in verse 38. If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. And he's speaking in the context here to people who have not come to him, people who have not followed him, people who have not given up their life to follow him. He's speaking to those people. Ashamed here means to be afraid, to be proud, to not be wanting to experience what you think will be shame and humbling by giving up your life to Jesus. And he says, if you resist me, if you reject me in this generation, in this world, you say no to me because you're too afraid and too proud to deny yourself. And come after me. Then he says, when I return, I will not recognize you. And because you rejected me and said no to me in this world, when I return, I will say no to you. I never knew you. Will that happen? Could that possibly happen? Jesus said it. We can believe it. Everything he has said to this point has happened. Every detail. 
And so this morning, I encourage you to consider the words of Jesus. First, consider the words he spoke in detail, telling what was going to happen, including a resurrection. And it happened. What more proof do we need that when Jesus says something, you can believe it? It's going to happen. And when he lays out for us the importance of giving up our lives and giving our lives over to him and following him, counting the cost, no matter what it may involve, being willing to make that commitment and say yes to him. And when he says you'll be saved if you do that, you can believe it. And if he says you'll lose your life if you don't do it, you can believe it. And when he says, if you reject me here in this world, I will say no to you when I return, you can count on it. Because Jesus said it. And what he says will happen, will happen. He told us so. It will be just like he said. This past week was the 45th annual celebration of the beginning of Apple, that company, founded in April of 1976. There were three young men who co-founded the company. Their names were Steve Jobs, Steve Wozniak, and Ronald Wayne. Almost everybody has heard of Steve Jobs. A number of people have heard of Steve Wozniak, but most have probably never heard of the third young man, Ronald Wayne. Ronald Wayne was the one who actually wrote the agreement that these three men entered into to begin Apple. And the agreement was that he would receive 10% of the company. That was his share. And so Ronald Wayne wrote the manual for Apple I, and he actually drew Apple's first logo. But after 12 days of entering that agreement, Ronald Wayne quit. He walked away. And when he did, he sold his 10% of the company for $800. Today, Ronald Wayne's 10% share that he sold for $800 is worth over $60 billion. Why did he walk away? Well, he explained later. This is what he said. He said, I did believe that the company would be successful. I really did. But I didn't know what I would personally have to give up and sacrifice to get there. And so I walked away. Do you realize how many people, friends, have heard the gospel of Jesus Christ over and over again. They have heard and been shown everything Jesus ever said about salvation and following him and the danger of not. 
And yet they will decide. I've thought about what I might personally have to give up and sacrifice. And I'm not willing. And they keep walking away. Holding on to their own life. Maintaining control of their own life. Trying to save their own life. Putting the things of this world that they're seeking ahead of their eternal soul. And they walk away. They say, oh, I believe that salvation stuff. I believe in Jesus in some way. But they are unwilling to give up and give themselves to it. Maybe that's you. Maybe you can't even count the Easter's that you have heard about salvation, that you've heard about the risen Christ and what he can do in your life if you would just let go of your life and give it to him. Seek his forgiveness of all those sins. Declare him to be Lord and surrender your life to him, no matter what, no matter what. I encourage you to consider that today because everything Jesus said, will happen. Everything he said is true. Every detail of what he told the disciples many, many times took place just as he told them. And if you choose to surrender your life to Jesus today, what will happen to you will be just what he has told us. You will be forgiven. You will be freed from bondage to your sin. You will begin to see a life change. You will have the hope of eternal life because he said you would. And everything he says happens. But if you once again choose to walk away because you're not willing to give something up and you're not willing to change, then what will happen someday will be exactly what Jesus said. Because whatever he says, you can count on it. A woman who had received Christ during an Easter service called her pastor the following week. And she said this, O pastor, Christ has changed my life and he shall never hear the end of it. What did she mean? Christ has changed my life, Pastor, and he is going to keep hearing me recommitting and me reaffirming that commitment over and over. And he is going to keep hearing my gratitude and my thanks. He will never hear the end of it, Pastor, because he has changed my life, just like he said. That could happen to you. Let's pray. <clears throat> Our Father, we, uh, we thank you for the fact that we can count on anything that Jesus said. That whatever he said was truth. 
It can be believed. It can be accounted on. Father, we see that everything Jesus said would happen, happened, including his resurrection. He's alive, just like he said. Father, I pray for anyone here this morning or anyone listening who has been unwilling to let go, to give up what they need to give up, to follow you. If anyone here has been trying to save their own life their way, Father, help them to remember that Jesus died and rose so they no longer would have to live for themselves, but for the one who died and rose again on their behalf. Father, may someone here today trust the words of Jesus. Believe the words of Jesus. And run to Him seeking His forgiveness, His salvation, His hope of eternal life. And may they become new creations in Jesus. And may You, Lord, never hear the end of it as they live a life of praise, a life of humility and service, a life of gratitude. In the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, amen.